Welcome to the Brian Thomas Crop Podcast. My name is Brian Thomas Crop, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good. And so I write them and I enjoy sharing them with you. Uh, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, how things kind of go here is in just a moment, you'll hear a chapter from a story that I wrote. In this case, it is going to be chapter 44 of my novel Showdown in the Yukon. And then on the other side of that chapter, we'll get into some behind the scenes uh, information of why I wrote what I wrote or how did uh, that aspect of the chapter come to be or how do you go about writing books and stories and that kind of thing. So I'm glad that you are here uh, just to catch us all up with where we are in the story. We are almost to the end of Showdown in the Yukon here at chapter 44. A lot of the, the main story is over, and if you'd like to catch up on all of that, you can swing over to episode 17, and that's where chapter one is, and you can start listening from there. Uh, but uh, Monterey Jack Danvers, who is the, the hero of this story, he's been through a lot, <clears throat> him and his traveling companions, and we are sort of at the uh, transition point between uh, the, the main adventure being over and he now has plans to return to Good and Gulch, California, which is where this whole adventure started. And he's still got a little bit of business to wrap up here in the Yukon territory before he heads south. And uh, we will look at sort of how things get wrapped up between him and uh, Mrs. Finch and Lucy Finch, her daughter, and uh, his uh, partner sort of in crime of Max Sutherland. But we will get into chapter 44 of Showdown in the Yukon right after we hear from this week's sponsors. Well, I am excited to let you know that Shell Game, the sequel to Showdown in the Yukon, is now available at Amazon. It is available in Kindle and paperback and hardcover. And Shell Game tells the story of a private detective named Evan Gold who works in a small Kansas town. And there have been three mysterious murders that have happened. And he needs to unwind all of the mystery, find the person or persons behind the murders before the police nab him for all of them. They think that he is at the center of all of it. And he does run into the Pearl, the same Pearl that Monterey Jack uh, has run into in Showdown in the Yukon. And you'll just have to pick up the book to find out uh, the interaction between uh, the Pearl and Evan. So swing over to Amazon, tell your friends about it, grab a copy for yourself. You can also uh, read it for free over at BrianThomasCrop.com. But I'm so happy to be able to share uh, this next installment in the Pearl Saga with you. And with that, on to our chapter this week. Chapter 44. The funeral for Mrs. Finch was a simple affair, though completely foreign to Monterey. Mungo, his men, and Mrs. Finch's kin felled many trees to build a large pyre in the center of the property. When Monterey asked why Mrs. Finch's body was to be burned when a normal burial would seem more appropriate, Buck told him the ground was frozen solid, and this was the appropriate way to conduct such a ceremony in winter. Buck said her ashes would be kept safe, and once the ground thawed in the spring, they would join her husband. All the same, Monterey had a hard time with the idea of watching a person he knew go up in flames. He saw Mac talking with Pete and Mungo. 
They were headed to their respective homes once the morning for Mrs. Finch finished. I'm in your debt, he said to Mungo. You came to our aid when you had no reason to. I dare say you had every reason to stay out of it. I thought about your words when we parted. I'm not sure what exactly changed about you, but something has. There is no sense in letting a changed man such as yourself die unreconciled. Munko extended his hand. I take your apology, and I forgive you. Mac heartily took Mungo's hand in his and shook it. A very relieved smile spread on Mac's face. If you find yourself in the land of my people, make sure to come by and stay for a time. I would be very interested in how you ended up involved in all of this to start with, Mungo said and returned the smile. A moment or two later, a bell rang out signaling the start of the funeral. Everyone in attendance, must have been a hundred or more, stood in a large circle around Mrs. Finch's pyre. Her kin, the ranchers, and what looked to be the whole population of Penny Canyon stood shoulder to shoulder around the pyre. No sign of turmoil between them. For the moment, at least, all hatchets were buried. Monterey looked for the last time at the face of his employer. He noted that even in death, her face was dignified and resolute, bravely stepping into the next part of her journey. Mr. Moody said a few words, as did several members of her family, before they set the pyrewood ablaze. Someone let out in some hymns about walking on heaven's streets of gold, and most everyone sang along. Monterey wondered about a place so extravagant gold was as common as dirt was on earth. How different his understanding of gold had been. Still, he thought it would make for a more comfortable life while he lived below heaven's streets. Since Monterey did not know the songs, he stood off separately, and the heat from the fire started to make his face tingle. He had not been this warm in a month, it seemed. The faithful stayed and watched the fire burn. Monterey tried to watch out of reverence to her memory, but found it too difficult. He was not accustomed to such sights. So he quietly removed himself from the group and headed to the house to get his things together to head back south. The journey from Good and Gulch to Penny Canyon had been a far different experience than he expected, and he was very excited and relieved to start heading to familiar territory. A few hours later, when the funeral had broken up, Mac found Monterey sitting in his room, staring out the window. The vast white horizon glowed faintly under the light of a full moon. "'What's all this?' he asked and gestured at the neat pile of belongings Monterey had at the foot of the bed. "'I wanted to be ready to go as soon as possible.' The job is done. I'm ready to head back. I see that, my friend, but you still need to recover from your injuries. You'll never make the travel in your current condition, and I have no desire to carry you all the way back to California. In addition to that, there's no accessible route south now that winter has come in earnest. We are here for the long haul, I'm afraid. What does that mean exactly? Monterey's headache threatened to return. Let's see. It's almost October now, Mac thought for a moment. I'd say mid-April we'd be able to start heading back. By then the passes will be clear, the rivers running, and the huntable game awake from their winter sleep. I know you're anxious to journey, but you're gonna have to soothe yourself for a few more months. Monterey closed his eyes. How could he have been so short-sighted? Of course Mac was right, but it was the last thing he wanted to hear right then. He couldn't find the words to say, so he just nodded and rested his head on his pillows. The winter months did not pass quickly. The days were almost non-existent, and the nights lasted forever. But Monterey was never at a loss of something to occupy his time. 
With his wounds mended and his body back to full strength, he and Mac did what they could to make needed repairs around the property, weather permitting. Lucy concluded her mother's affairs and started making preparations for the spring mining season. She took what gold lay around the house and made sure the good people of Penny Canyon were generously compensated for their troubles under Mr. Brown. Monterey started to see Lucy in a brand new light. He was still quite taken with her, but he could see she was blossoming into quite the capable manager of the place. Even though Mrs. Finch said she would approve of him speaking to her more familiarly, Monterey could never quite bring himself to do it. He was going to leave soon, and Lucy had so many more new responsibilities. He figured it best to keep their friendship where it was. As winter transitioned into spring, the longing inside Monterey to return to Good and Gulch returned to him. The air had changed, a new crew from town was hired to work the gold mine, the dam on the river was removed, and fresh water flowed freely all the way down into the valley of the ranchers. The signs of new life were everywhere. Then, without saying a word about the topic between them, he, Mac, and Lucy knew it was now time to part ways. Lucy prepared a wagon about the same size as the one that began the adventure. She made sure they had all the necessary food items for the journey. Lucy also made double sure the floorboards would not break along the way. In the back, nestled between some dried salt pork and a wooden bedroll, were two small casks. Inside these casks was enough gold to last Mac and Monterey a lifetime each. For all you've done for my family and me, you should take much more of this home with you. This is a far cry from the percentage you agreed to in the contract, she had said to them. Monterey said, A man can only need so much gold. If I've learned nothing else, I've learned that much. Well, it has been a unique pleasure to know you, Mr. Danvers, and Mr. Sutherland. You've made yourselves such blessings here. I'm afraid I've come to depend on you, she said. You're too kind, ma'am, Mac bowed. May you possess all of the honorable qualities of your dear parents as you take care of their legacy. Lucy blushed and curtsied. How Monterey desired to swoop her up in his arms. If you ever find your way up here again, Lucy began, the only reason I would find myself up here again would be to see you, Lucy, Monterey said and instantly felt his cheeks burn. Not wishing to say more than he ought, and quite certain he already had, Monterey quickly tipped his hat to Lucy and climbed up into the front of the wagon. A moment later he was joined by Mac, and long before Monterey wished it to be so, he could no longer make out the property when he looked over his shoulder. So this begins the long goodbye to this story. This is again chapter 44 of 47. And so in about a month, uh, we will be done with this story and on to the next one. And what remains between now and then is to see how this experience that Monterey has had um, traveling from Good and Gulch, California, all the way up to the Yukon Territory, how that has uh, transformed him into somebody else, somebody more mature, somebody with a stronger uh, moral center, someone with a stronger uh, character, if you will. Uh, reminds me of a friend of mine who was involved with a Bible study of sorts. They were working on some, some more of the spiritual disciplines like uh, memorizing Bible verses and uh, the like. And uh, it was like a, I think it was like a two-year program. And uh, 
he said that one of the instructors of, of the time had said that you, for the time that this is going on, it's very easy to conform to uh, the rules of the, of the group. But then over the course of the time, uh, it'll be kind of like the, the group was like a pressure cooker with the lid on and you know, you're kind of conforming to uh, the pattern of the group. And then when the group is over, it's like the lid of the pressure cooker comes off and you get to see in yourself what has, what, what did you do just to conform to get along and where did actual transformation take place? And so now that the uh, mine is safely in Lucy's hands and uh, Monterey is free to do whatever he wants to do, we're now going to see what, um, now the pressure is off, what kind of character uh, he has become. Now, that's where we are in the story, but as I was re-listening to uh, this particular chapter, all kinds of uh, memories of the writing of this chapter and a couple other ones uh, down the line uh, came back, one of which is the reminder to myself of why I like writing fiction stories instead of trying to get through uh, nonfiction. Uh, one of them is called Research. I graduated college, I graduated my uh, master's degree, a uh, lot of papers. And one of the things that I just don't like writing are research papers. Um, I just wanna, it's probably arrogant of me, but I just wanna say what I want to say and not have to cite it and quote other people and all the things that go along with research papers. And I remember uh, listening to somebody talk about writing fiction books and they talk about, you know, doing all your research for your characters and your locations and all the things. I'm like, ugh, who wants, ugh, just write the story. Why go research all this stuff? Um, and yet I still find that uh, I still need to research a few things like there was the hand grenade in the mines several chapters ago that I had to research to see if that was even a thing. Uh, research in fiction looks a lot different than research in uh, university or in nonfiction. In this case, uh, it was spawned by the question, how exactly would you bury a person in the middle of the winter in the far north of North America? <clears throat> and so, I think I went to good old YouTube and found some videos where they said, you don't. Uh, the ground is too hard and digging is uh, just, it's too labor intensive. And that's with backhoes. Uh, it's just too uh, cost prohibitive to do that. So either they <clears throat> hold on to the body for um, uh, a period of time until the ground has thawed and they can dig a grave or um, it's cremated. And so I thought, well, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know much about cremation. So I kind of went back to the old Viking, um, uh, sending somebody off on, on a pyre, uh, kind of thing, but it was spawned out of, instead of it being some spiritual, um, religious thing, like in say Norse mythology or that kind of stuff where, you know, you would, burn a body like this out of um, uh, some kind of rite, a religious rite. Uh, this was more done out of necessity. And, um, but I thought that was kind of an interesting 
thing to know that you can't bury people in the winter up in the far north of north I, I assume you also can't do that in the far north of any extremity i guess it doesn't even have to be north of of this of this globe um but then i also noticed uh, a couple of themes one theme has kind of been running throughout this whole book which is forgiveness and then uh money and greed and uh what is money for where does my heart go with money uh, that's kind of creeping into the back half of of this story uh, certainly since they got up to uh alaska and i'll, I'll be honest with you uh, I've, I've looked at all kinds of different things to say, you know, you need to plot out your themes so that they're all hit and they, they kind of go somewhere. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't thought that that hard about my themes. Uh, they've just sort of come out and I've noticed them as I've written. So I know that these two themes were part of my first draft. Uh, kind of goes along with a Bible passage uh, that says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And for some reason, though I don't have a lot of animosity and hurt from the past that I need to ask forgiveness of or get forgiveness for, um, this is a theme that comes up a lot for me of, of things that I've written. Uh, maybe it has to do with the amount of forgiveness that I know I've received from Jesus as uh, the Bible teaches that if we accept him as our savior and our Lord, he is sufficient to forgive us of our sins and we can be truly healed and forgiven before God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so that might be why that is so uh, <clears throat> front of mind for me, because I'm aware of how I really don't know how much I need forgiveness, but I know that it's it's significant. Um, but the other one is this thing with money and greed. And there are a couple of things uh, that are going to come up. I think as I was wrapping up writing this story, I know I was going through kind of my own, I don't know if it was a midlife crisis necessarily, but I was certainly having this wrestling uh, between me and God of who's really providing for me. Uh, is it my, is it, Am I providing for myself from the work of my hands or is he providing me, providing for me through the work of my hands? And then am I satisfied with God's provision? And we, you know, God and I went back and forth a lot. Well, I went back and forth a lot with God. I don't know that he did a lot of back and forth. Um, but I think that starts to come out that I was really kind of coming to some conclusions about where my heart was in relationship to money and um, just acquiring stuff. And that's starting to creep out in this story through uh, some of Monterey's conclusions. Um, interestingly, uh, there was uh, this song that they sing in uh, the, the funeral service for um, Mrs. Finch. Uh, my my father passed away when I was 18, and I had a, a friend of mine. They were trying to be as nice as they could, but they gave us a recording, me and my mom, a recording of this song talking about heaven and how great it was and, you know, to be very glad that my father was there. And we, I really couldn't listen to it. It was just so hard to, at that time, really deal with the fact that my my father had died but the the lyrics of the chorus were something about you know he's walking on streets of gold and then later several years later i was in seminary and a friend of mine was talking about isn't it interesting that um we talk about heaven having streets of gold like that that 
money is so meaningless or that gold is so prevalent um, and valueless that way because there's just so much of it that uh, you pave the roads with it because we don't put any value on asphalt at all. It's not a, a tradable commodity at all. <clears throat> um, and I think that was sort of that turning point for me in dealing with money of like to God, money really doesn't mean what it means to me. And I needed to start changing my tune about how I was responding to his provision. And uh, those conclusions, I guess, are going to start creeping out in uh, Monterey uh, as, as we wrap up this story. But um, however you're feeling about God's provision in your life, I think it's a good one to nail down um, how, how trustworthy do you find the provisional hand of God in your life? Um, and um, how, how does that change uh, your relationship with him? Um, but uh, that's uh, sort of where we are with this story. I hope you, you hang in uh, to the rest of this book. We've only got, what is that, chapter 45, three more chapters to go and see how all these uh, themes and characterizations and whatnot wrap up uh, with Showdown in the Yukon. Uh, if you haven't yet picked up Shell Game, it's over there on the Amazons and you can go uh, grab a copy for yourself. You can also go to bryanthomascrop.com and it's there in the blog as well, chapter by chapter. While you're there, you can sign up for the, the reader group where you can get an inside uh, track on future books and get to help out with things like cover design and uh, advanced copies of new books uh, when they become available and those kinds of things. Well, I feel like I've uh, jabbered on uh, for uh, probably too long now, uh, but I hope that you have a great week and I will see you back here next time.